0: I invite you to hear these words from the psalmist it's from psalm uh, 66 shout joyful praises to god all the earth sing about the glory of his name tell the world how glorious he is everything on earth will worship you they will sing your praises shouting your name in glorious song and that is why we're here today to sing and to worship the name of god so i invite you to enter into these moments uh, and let Let's tell the world just how glorious the God we serve uh, truly is. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? God of our salvation, it is our desire to give glory to your name and to celebrate your love and faithfulness. We, to, so receive our worship today and hear our prayers for the sake of the one who loves us and gave himself for us, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hear a lot in the news these days about globalism. Um, it's, It's in all the media, it's on the lips of many of our politicians and world leaders. It's the ideology that advocates more uh, more towards one world government, uh, one world economy. It's the opposite of nationalism and has roots not in the Bible but in humanism. Now globalism has been around since... Uh, Pretty much the beginning of time, but it came to prominence in this country in the 1940s and is being pushed and taught in many academic circles today. But the Bible story we're going to be looking at today shows us how one attempt to achieve globalism back in the days just after the Great Flood was destroyed and dispersed by God. And one author goes as far as to say that world leaders who share this globalist idea defy the purposes of God. But there's a deeper spiritual meaning to globalism. It's often been used as a way to undermine Christianity by promoting the idea that all religions are basically the same. It embraces all other gods and other philosophies and the idea that all faiths are equally acceptable to God. So is is globalism just another verse in our ongoing saga of rebellion against God? Uh, We'll find out in a few moments, uh, as we learn how God dealt with the people from Confusion City. Again, great to have you here, and uh, we'll share in a moment of prayer, and then Ron Beckering's gonna come and introduce the graduates uh, to us. Let's pray. God of hope, thank you for the glimpses of your goodness and your faithful love that lift us out of our routines, even out of our despair. We are grateful that you fill our lives with good things, and are constantly stirring new life in us renew us today in your image and prepare us through the music and the word and the sacrament for the life that we will one day share with you in eternity we pray in jesus name amen if there are kids here this morning that would like to go with mrs campbell there is a this is a video sunday uh, and she has something prepared for you down in the multi-purpose room and you're already going before I even get done talking, but <laughs> go for it. They're excited to leave. <laughs> well, today happens to be Pentecost Sunday. It, and now, unless you've grown up in the church, that may not mean much to you, The story of Pentecost can be found in the New Testament book of Acts. Very simply, Pentecost was the beginning of the church. And one of the signature moments in this story is when the Holy Spirit came upon the Christ followers who were gathered in Jerusalem, and they began to speak in many other languages as the Spirit gave them that ability. The purpose of that anointing uh, was to reach the many different cultures and people who were gathered in the city and tell about the wonderful things that God was doing in their lives well we're not talking about Pentecost uh, this morning but instead I want to take you back into the pages of the very first book of the Bible the book of Genesis and tell you about another time when God enabled people to speak in many different languages only this time for a very different purpose than Pentecost hear the story At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they are all speaking the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city is called, was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. A tower that reached to the heavens, and we thought that we had big ambitions. This one wins the prize. Over a 100 years ago, a man by the name of Daniel Burnham laid out the plan for the modern city of Chicago. The beauty of the lakefront with its green space, the bike trails, the beaches, reflects his vision. And he summed up his philosophy as a designer in two famous sentences. Make no small plans. They have no power to stir people's blood. Make no small plans. Good advice if you're building a world-class city. Uh, Think big, dream big. Today, Chicago is one of the largest cities between the coasts and it's teeming with millions of people. Make no small plans. For people who enjoy life in the big city, it's exciting. This is where you find lots of options in music and food and crowds and fun. If you're looking for action, head to the city. Just about anything you want you can find in the big city if you look long enough and if you have enough money. Make no small plans. I think Daniel Burnham would have loved the Tower of Babel. Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. Great idea. Can you just hear the developers of that tower? Let's use bricks instead of stones. That way it will last forever. I'll call the bank and set up the financing. We'll borrow some of the money and the city council can float a bond issue for the rest. We'll rent the lower floor for retail. We'll put families in the middle. We'll, uh, national Multinational corporations can have a prime location near the top. This tower will last forever. We'll be the envy of every city in Mesopotamia. People will come from everywhere to see our tower. Make no small plans. No one ever tried to do anything like this before or since. This was the greatest building program in the ancient world but the tower they started was stopped by god and eventually it fell to the ground let me put it another way they started the tower god stopped it and along the way god confused their language and scattered the people across the face of the earth in order to understand this story let me give you some background facts first the story of the tower of babel occurs just a few generations after Noah's flood. It may have happened about 100 to 150 years uh, after the flood. By this time, the population of the world had expanded considerably from the eight people who got off the ark with Noah. Uh, Now it's a much larger number of people. Second, in those days, everyone spoke the same language. That is mentioned in verse one, and it's crucial to the understanding of this passage the human race was united in a way that has never been repeated since a careful student of scripture may wonder how the whole world could speak one language in genesis 11 when genesis 10 specifies that the whole earth was divided into competing tribes and nations each with its own language and dialect and the answer to that dilemma if that has been the burning question on your mind since you're reading through the bible or reading the book of genesis the answer is that moses was the author of Genesis, flip-flopped the narrative here in order to highlight the essential problem of the human race. Chronologically, the Tower of Babel story comes before the scattering of the nations in Genesis 10, but Moses reversed the order in order to emphasize the high cost of rebelling against God. We are supposed to come to the end of Genesis 10 and ask, how did the world become so hopelessly divided? And then Genesis 11 answers that question. Now, third, most people lived in the Middle East in an area called Shinar, which is another name for Babylonia, which is a re- region of modern day Iraq. As the post flood generations migrated east from Ararat, the, the place where Noah ended up with the ark after the flood, They settled in the region we now call the Fertile Crescent, a well-watered plain near the Tigris and Euphrates River. Fourth, the tower they built was religious in nature. This fact might not be evident from a quick reading of the text, but when this passage is taught in Sunday school, um, many teachers imply that the people were trying to build a tower that reached all the way to the heavens. That's probably not accurate it seems more likely that they were trying to build a tower that would bring heaven down to earth some writers suggest that the tower was tied to the early development of astrology and at the top of the top tower was an altar surrounded by the signs of the zodiac making it an enormous symbol of our attempt to control the universe apart from god and now this suggestion seems likely since we know that astrology originated in ancient Babylon. At first glance, the religious nature of this tower that they built may seem to be quite different from modern-day skyscrapers, but perhaps there really isn't that much difference at all. After the collapse of the World Trade Center in New York City, the Twin Towers were described as temples of modern commerce and shrines to the ingenuity and prowess of American technology. But that's not unusual. Mount Rushmore has often been called the shrine of American democracy. So it shouldn't surprise us that when people build something great, they invest it with symbolic religious significance. Buildings and statues and monuments all say something about the values of those who build them and those who support them. The Lincoln Memorial, for instance, and the Washington Monument say something powerful and positive about the values that we hold dear in america but in this case it was a tower and it was more than a tower it was a massive united effort to bring humanity together apart from god is it any wonder that the lord could not let this tower stand a famous preacher j.i packer calls this passage a mirror of the modern world he says it reveals to us that we, what we might call the power game. The builders of the Tower of Babel had two purposes in mind, mentioned in verse 4. The tower will make us famous, and it will keep us from being scattered all over the world. The tower meant, was meant to make a statement. Don't mess with us. We are the greatest city on the earth. No one is like us. No one can touch us. How modern does that sound? We live in a world that exalts the superlative, don't we? Big, bigger, biggest. Good, better, best. Fast, faster, fastest. Smart, smarter, smartest. Tall, taller, tallest. Rich, richer, richest. We all want to be the est, don't we? Why be the er if we can be the est? That's why we compete. That's why we keep score. That's why we love competition. That's why we love to win we watch march madness and root for a team where we know none of the players personally because it helps our bracket we cheer for the underdog at wimbledon we get caught up in the final days of the masters golf tournament from augusta and most of those players we will never meet personally we attach ourselves somehow to winners don't we it's very satisfying to win losing stinks someone said show me a good loser and i'll show you a loser That's a truly American point of view. But it wouldn't have been out of place in ancient Babylon. See, architecture had a religious dimension and also a theological dimension. Show me what you build or show me where you live or where you wish you lived maybe and I'll show you something about what you value. Maybe not everything, but I'll know something very important about you. The Tower of Babel was an ancient power game for people who felt the inner need to be number one. They wanted a name, they wanted security, they thought the tower was gonna give them both of those things. Now there are a couple of implications that I would pass along to you today to think about. First, the compulsive drive for power and prestige stems from our deep-seated fear of dependence on somebody else we want to be the best in our field don't we the biggest the strongest the fastest the smartest the loudest the richest because if we are all of those things then others will have to depend on us but we won't have to depend on anybody or anyone as the poet said in words that could have been carved into the tower of babel i'm the master of my fate the captain of my soul at this point we need to ponder carefully the implications of this story is there anything wrong with building a tower no is there anything wrong with working together to build a tower no is there anything wrong with building the tallest tower on earth no is it wrong to advertise that your tower is the tallest on earth no but at this point we're drifting into the danger zone one that is so subtle that we can hardly see it until it captures us completely, because human pride is a tricky thing. Pride is what made Lucifer rebel against God and be cast out of heaven. Pride was the original sin of the universe. Ambition is not wrong. Competition is not wrong. Winning is not wrong. Celebrating your victories is not wrong. Being the best is not wrong, but it's never entirely innocent either sin always lurks in the neighborhood somewhere and it's usually not too far away that's why jesus said that it's easier for for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven when we've got money and power and prestige and fame and friends in high places we tend to think that we don't need god but when we're flat broke and our power is gone and our friends won't return our phone calls then we're on our knees calling out for God's mercy. Jesus showed us the antidote to the arrogance that built the ancient tower when he said, God blesses those who are poor and recognize their need of him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In essence, he's saying, blessed are the losers, for they are the ones who are gonna win in the end. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, The meek who wants to be meek meekness is weakness weakness gets crushed but jesus said blessed are the meek for they are the ones who will inherit the earth that leads me to the second implication which is that the compulsive drive for power and security leads to a moral degeneration of our soul our desperate search for significance leads us to compromise our values time and time again in the name of independence and freedom and the need to control our own destiny we want to be like frank sinatra and say you know i did it my way which perfectly expresses the spirit of babel and so we cut corners and we use illegal drugs and we work wink at insider training and we break the rules and we lie to our parents and we lie to our spouse and we lie to our friends and we end up even lying to ourselves we use people and we discard them when they don't fit into our plans anymore and what seems to be rather noble starts uh, noble at the beginning turns out to be sinister in the end and there's nothing wrong with a tower and nothing wrong with a good reputation and nothing wrong with working as a team to accomplish a great goal but when those things are fueled by arrogance the end result is grotesque and it's evil and the tower became a symbol of people's independence from God it was humanism in its full flower there's a kind of uneasy paranoia about being on top of the heap you know it's striking that the people of Babel feared being scattered even though there was no reason to fear anything they were the only people on earth and still they feared what might happen to them same is true today if you're a superstar at what you do whether that's in athletics or a developer or a musician or a model whatever it is there is a certain stress that comes with that position win the award be the best and after the cheering dies away and the lights are turned off your prize is very likely to be an ulcer or high blood pressure or a heart attack around the next corner because that's life in the big game life is so much harder without god You end up doing desperate things like building towers that reach into the heavens. Arrogance is what makes us think that we're invincible. But none of us are invincible. There's some haunting words for us in Isaiah chapter 40. The prophet says, people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people we don't like to hear that we're that we're weak that we're mortal do we but all of us are all of us were born to die some of us just get there sooner than others but we're all going to get there eventually people think no one can stop me now no one can touch me but as teddy roosevelt once remarked there's a bear trap waiting for every bear we desperately need to take these words to heart because we live in a world that encourages us to think that we can do it all believe it achieve it dream it and do it no limits to our human potential but remember this the next time you feel the need to brag about what you've done pay attention to that faint cracking sound because it's the thin ice beneath your feet that's about to give way and that's why god stopped the building program if god had let them continue with this tower They would think that they could do anything, so God confused their language. Um, The pipe fitters couldn't understand the electricians, who couldn't understand the truck drivers, who didn't have a clue what the bricklayers were talking about, and that drove the carpenters nuts. Everyone started talking gibberish. No one understood a thing that the others were saying, and soon this massive building program ground to a halt. And then the lord scattered them across the face of the earth and do you know what they call the name of that city the one with the unfinished tower the one that eventually fell to the ground they called it Babel, meaning confusion they called it confusion city everyone was babbling at the same time and it drove everyone nuts so they moved away to get some peace and quiet and that's how we got so many different languages But here's the ultimate irony. They built the tower so that they wouldn't be scattered, but they ended up being scattered anyway. You see, God judges all of our human efforts when we leave him out of the picture. He brings down the high and the mighty with a big thud, eventually. We could write over this story some words from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, The work of the builders is wasted. So as we come to the end of the story this morning, I think there are three questions that jump out to me that I want to share with you and ask you personally. First, to what extent do we embody the attitude of Babel? Personalize that. To what extent do you embody the attitude of Babel? Remember, the problem of the tower was not the tower itself. It was the attitude that built it. Anything good can become like the Tower of Babel when we are motivated by pride and arrogance and paranoia or a need to establish our own independence away from God and from other people. There's a very thin line between healthy ambition and sinful pride, and any of us can cross that line sometimes without knowing it. It's the compulsive need to be in control of every aspect of our life, including the people around us. That's the spirit of Babel that causes us to say, God's in heaven, but you know what? I'm the God of my little world. Secondly, in what areas have you experienced the judgment of Babel? In Genesis 11, God judged the people by throwing them into confusion and ruining this massive building program. God does the same thing to us today. It is very possible for some to suffer confusion and fear and incredible loneliness in this drive to be the best at whatever we do i heard of a fortune cookie motto that read something like this top of ladder nice place but very very lonesome and that's true some of us have suffered incredibly because we're still trying to live according to our own rules so we push god out to the edges of our life and then we do our own thing but we can't push god to the to the edge and succeed for long our tower will eventually come crashing down and the shaky foundations of our life will be destroyed along with it and then last here's uh, how have we embraced the the alternative to babel there is only one alternative to babel and that is the lord jesus christ proverbs 18:10 says The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a strong fortress. The godly run to him, and they are safe. Jesus said it this way, what shall it profit a person, a man or woman, a company, a team, a family, a leader, a city, or even a nation? What will it it profit any of us if we build a, a mighty tower with our life, but we lose our own soul in the process? We can have Babel with all of its power games, its moral degeneration, its paranoia, loneliness, its despair, its deceptive pleasures, or we can have Jesus Christ. That's the two choices we have in life. And at this point, the Bible becomes incredibly relevant to our generation because we are massive tower builders today. We are ladder climbers. We are control freaks. We're estate builders and compulsive over-committers, aren't we? We're looking for love and pleasure and power and purpose and meaning in all the wrong places and we build towers that will crumble before our eyes and then we wonder what went wrong. We're so busy building our own kingdoms that we miss seeking first the kingdom of God. No wonder we're frazzled, we're tired, we're uptight, we're jumpy, we're irritable, we're easily distracted and we're easily seduced by money and sex and power. Once when the daily uh, London Daily Mail asked the question, what is wrong with the world? There was a pastor who wrote back and he simply said this, dear sir, I'm what's wrong with the world. And he was right. The spirit of Babel is just, it's not just out there, it's in each, each of us. And my prayer today is that some of us might be feeling just a little bit uneasy about some towers in our own lives. It's a good thing, you know, to, to be uneasy about that. These are heavy burdens that we carry. You see, it's very easy to start, start building towers in our own strength and our own, for our own glory. And the tricky part uh, is we can't tell by looking at the tower why it's built. Only the Lord knows the thoughts of our hearts. So while we may appear to have everything in order because we're happy, we're busy, we're successful, God may know that our towers need to come crumbling to the ground. The people said come let's build together and jesus says come to me all of you who are weary and burdened i'm going to give you rest if you're tired of building castles in the sand only to see see them washed away by the tides of life i invite you to come to jesus if you're weary of trying and failing to master all of your own circumstances in life come to jesus If you're burdened with the pressure of trying to be all things to all people all the time, and if you're failing to meet even your own expectations, much less anybody else's, come to Jesus. If you're worn out from the fruitless search for power and prestige, come to Jesus. Here's a word for frustrated tower builders everywhere. If you're tired of your life and you want something better, come to Jesus. All that the hungry hearts seek is found in him and by his death on the cross our sins are forgiven and by his resurrection we gain new life so my question for you today is this do you know him do you know Jesus has your heart been changed by his mighty power if you're tired of building building towers that seem to keep falling to the ground come to Jesus he is the firm foundation he is the cornerstone that can never be shaken Build your life on Jesus Christ and you will never be disappointed. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Forgive us for the towers that we build in our pride and arrogance, thinking that we can control our life better than you can. Thank you that in Jesus Christ you are building a much better city. So may we live our lives by, for your praise and your glory. And may your kingdom come And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name.